Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. This is Everything Cooperative. And we just come around to talk to you every Thursday morning about the benefits of the cooperative business model. And today we're delighted that Maryland Schools is a retired manager of a consulting cooperative. Good morning, Maryland. Good morning, Vernon. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great, too. Thank you so much. Fantastic. You have a wonderful, wonderful history in this cooperative uh, world. How did you get started in it? (laughs) Well, it has been a long time. It's been about 40 years. Um, I first started when I moved to Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin, in 1970, let's see, five or so. And I was um, looking around uh, to try to get to know the community, and I I rode the bus from one end of town to the other, and I I went past... uh, sign that said food co-op and I thought well what in the world is that and I got off the bus and I went in and right next door there was another food co-op they were very different stores one was a um, natural food store and the other was a traditional grocery store but they were right in the same building and they had uh, different histories and different membership bases but it was very intriguing to me and I ended up uh, actually moving into that neighborhood uh, in part because the co-ops were there and uh, saw what a difference that having co-ops in a neighborhood could make. Wow. So you're just curious. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's how it started. <laughs> okay. okay. See, I didn't find out about co-ops until I started managing housing co-ops, and then I've fallen in love with this model. And yeah, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Throughout my formal education with a couple of master's degrees, nobody taught me food co-op, co-ops, period. So I did not get that in any formal education. Yeah, it's, it's funny, Vernon. You know, I think that as human beings, we we know how to cooperate with each other. We, we learn it from in kindergarten. But the formal business model is, a, is an unfortunately, it's a well-kept secret. But let's see what we can do to change that. Well, that's the reason the National Co-op Bank is sponsoring this program, and it was an idea that I had with the National Cooperative uh, Housing Association is that we need to promote co-ops because people just don't know about it. Right. And yeah, well, thanks so much to you for that vision and for Chuck Snyder and the Co-op Bank for sponsoring it. It's what a, what a great thing. Yeah, and we've started an advisory committee uh we got about eight, nine people on it, and just a lot of enthusiasm. It's nice to watch things grow from an idea to generate and germinate and people come well, in. Well, that's what cooperatives are all about, right? People Isn't it? who have an idea and they get together and they figure out, well, how, how can we make this work? How can we solve this problem that we share uh, rather than everybody trying to figure it out on their own but people working together? to um, to solve a problem, and, and that's how that the first um, co-op that I worked in at the Gordon Park Food Co-op there in, in Milwaukee that I was telling you about, you know, it was um, it was a, a poor neighborhood, a racially mixed neighborhood. Um, it, it, there was a grocery store there, but it was 1970s, and all the, all the food stores were moving out to the suburbs, and nobody was really serving the the middle of the city and the and the neighborhoods um, within the city. And there, there was a store there that was owned by a couple of uh, brothers. They happened to be Hungarian. They were in their 80s, and they wanted to they wanted to sell their business, but they couldn't find anybody to, to sell it to because, mm-hmm. you know, there was no parking, and it was a small neighborhood. People didn't have a lot of money. And so they finally decided after years of trying to sell it, they were just going to close it down. Well, the neighbors said, well, what are we going to do without our grocery store? So they just, they pulled, and because the other co-op there, the, the, the natural foods co-op that was there, they had the model. They knew that there was a, 
uh, something called a co-op that they could figure out. And so they pooled their money and, and bought out the inventory from the brothers and uh, started operating it as a co-op. And I came along about three or four years later and um, found it equally intriguing, started working there in 1978. Doing what? Well, I started out as a cheese cutter. Cheese um, cutter. <laughs> I, I was a, I, it, we had a lot of uh, people who contributed their labor to the store, just worked for a, a, a discount on our food back then. Uh, we didn't know that that the uh, Federal Fair Labor Standards Act would frown on that. At the time, we just thought it was a good idea. And then eventually I got a job uh, on the staff, and at that point everybody did everything. Some days I would would uh, stock the milk cooler. Other other days I would serve customers at the meat counter. Sometimes I'd cashier. I'd mop the floor. You know, whatever needed to be done, whoever was on duty would, would do it. Eventually, um, I did become the manager of that store and then later moved to uh, Austin, Texas and was the manager of the Wheatsville Food Co-op there. Um, so I, st- I started out in, in management of the food co-ops. Well, you started out cutting cheese. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it was Wisconsin, too, don't forget. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, they make a lot of cheese up there. Indeed. Okay, so you worked all kinds of different jobs doing everything. But what it was interesting, you said you started out where people would just donate their labor. Yeah, there were a few people who were a paid staff, but most of the work got done by members volunteering their labor. Yeah, that's that's how we did it back then. Unfortunately, we later found out that uh, that wasn't um, wasn't acceptable in the eyes of the of the Fair Labor Standards Act, federal government, Internal Revenue Service. We got ourselves into a, a little bit of trouble, but um, you know that uh, like a lot of things we did in the food co-op back then, uh, we were learning as we went, mm-hmm. and that was uh, we didn't know how to operate grocery stores, but we knew that we wanted uh, to do something. Um, to meet the needs of the people in our community and something a little different. And so we, we just had to learn as we went, and it was awfully fun. We had uh, everybody in the community, I uh, felt like we, we pitched in. And um, if, uh, if someone, if we had a lot of elderly customers in that neighborhood, and if somebody hadn't come in by noon, we'd say, hey, has anybody seen Rosie? And maybe, uh, you know, so we'd walk over to her house or give her a call, make sure everything was okay. So it was really a, a community center as well as a place to buy food. Real community. Indeed. And you call it a community center. Okay. A lot of times the schools play that role in communities. Yeah. There was a, we were on the main drag there. Again, it was unfortunate we didn't have any a parking lot, but we were on the main drag through the neighborhood. And so a lot of people would, would stop by. And when I, when I left the co-op, I actually had a bench built outside for my going away present so that people would have a place to sit as they would drink their coffee and, and meet their neighbors there at the co-op. Okay, the other thing that struck out to me out of everything you said was awfully fun. <laughs> it was great fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was fun. Um, you know, it's uh, after 40 years, I would say, if it, if it hasn't been fun along the way, um, why, why spend that much time? It's also hard work and, and sometimes exasperating. You know, uh, people don't always agree, and you've got to, you got to figure out a way to find um, a path that works for for the majority of the people uh, as many people as you can serve but um, so it can be exacerbating but it's it's also just been really fun to have so much opportunity to learn and meet so many wonderful people and to just feel like you're making a little bit of a difference Marilyn what made it fun (laughs) oh I think the uh, two things Vernon I think it's the people Cooperators are, I think, they're they're interested in other people and they're interested in the way things uh, work in the world and they're not just satisfied with the status quo but want to see how how can we make things better and and so that's fun and then I think the other thing that makes it fun is is learning, you know, uh, if you wake up every day and and learn something new that day, it's been a good day, right? You've you've had a chance to explore a new idea and that you know that you never lose that as you age there's other things you lose but but your ability to to learn and the joy of learning is stays with you yeah but i've been telling people if 
You know, the old cowboy said, if I die with my boots on, it's happy. I go, if I die in a classroom, it's, I'm happy. It, now, the classroom may be out in a field looking at the way butterflies fly or in, in a food co-op talking to people or a housing co-op or mm-hmm. in a real school in a classroom. Wherever knowledge is being transferred is what I really like. So, yeah, I got uh-huh. it. I like that spirit, Vernon. I'm sorry we've never met, but I'm sure looking forward to getting to meet you someday soon. Well, we're going to meet in May at the Hall of Fame uh, dinner. I have seen you there before, but we've just never, unfortunately, we've just never had a chance to meet each other directly. So I'm very much looking forward to that. So what's the date on that? May 2nd. Okay, so May 2nd, Maryland School is being inducted into the Co-op Hall of Fame. And I'll be there to break bread and drink a glass of wine (laughs) with her and celebrate that with three other people who are co-op hero this is the biggest honor in the co-op world and so it sounds like you deserve it Marilyn. i was on the selection committee oh thank you so much and and that we had maybe 12 i can't remember it was a lot larger pool than normal i've done it five different years larger pool than normal and everybody was great it was a really tough Mm. decision so you came you came up to the top you rose to the top of the pile so (laughs) <laughs> Congratulations. Well, my goodness, thank you so much. And and what amazing people, um, also uh, Rudy Hanley and Paul Bradley and Rosemary Mahoney. I mean, what an amazing group of cooperators there. They're all so inspirational. I, I'm so honored and humbled to be included in that class. And, and then the folks who've been in in the past, you talk about people like uh, Pete Creer or Rod Nilsestoon, Judy Zewatz, Ann Hoyt. Um, you've just got so many amazing cooperators over the years. I could I could keep going forever. Shirley Sherrod, I mean, uh, Jessica Gordon-Nemhart. It's just an amazing. David Thompson, Walden Swanson, Kate. So, I mean, you know, what an amazing Benjamin Franklin, for crying out loud. Well, I can't believe people, what an honor. Of the eight people you named, six have been on the program. Mm-hmm. And which is really, really interesting that we've been oh, doing wow. this now four and a half years. And we were only going to do it for a month to celebrate co-op month of October. And I loved it so much. And Chuck did, Chuck Snyder, and so did the people that were on that it became just sort of a natural thing to do. Wow. Um, That's a great story. I didn't know how it had started like that. It started out of uh, – I was – the president of the National Association of Housing Co-ops, and I was on a development committee, development preservation committee, and we kept trying to get developers to create housing co-ops. And I don't know if you know Roger Wilcock, who passed last year at 97. Oh, gosh, no, I'm sorry, I don't. Roger had created a lot of housing co-ops, and Herb Fisher, uh, a lawyer, he's 80-something, and they kept saying, if you get the developers to build them, then people will buy them. And I listened to that maybe four or five years before I got it. They don't know about them. So if you get people to ask for co-ops, if there's a demand for them, then the developers will build them. But they're mm-hmm. not going to build them without the demand. So that's what started sort of like we've got to really promote. And so in I'm trying to get more cooperators to promote co-ops too. So whatever you can do to promote co-ops. I think I find that we do it. To each other. Internally, we, we celebrate. Internally, we celebrate, but getting that message out to the world. Okay. Uh, yes. That's my. Mm-hmm. So I, I figured out 10 years ago what I want to be when I grow up, Marilyn. That's a <laughs> promoter and developer of co-ops. All well, you're doing a good job. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for being on. And we've got to take our first break. Okay. And I want to get back into your world and what you've done and in terms of creating a consulting firm and a and board leadership and so forth. So we'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOF, and 95.9 FM. Information is power. Well, not really. Information is the access to power. You've got to put some action to it in order to get the power out of it. And the National Co-op Bank is sponsoring this program so you can get the information to start a cooperative or to find one. There are several food co-ops here in this area. And we have Merlin. You you pronounce your name school? It's Shoal. Shoal. 
Okay, who's a retired manager of CDS Consulting Co-op, and she knows everything about food co-ops. That's what it says on your you know. <laughs> Well, I've been around a long time. Is that uh, so? I know a lot. I don't. I don't know about everything. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> okay, so what we left off with, you moved to Austin, Texas, and you became a manager there. So, how did how did your world evolve from there? Yeah, that was a, a good experience in uh, Austin, and, and Wheatsville is a great co-op, and I had um, had a good time managing there. But there was um, something about um, I'm a Midwesterner. I grew up in Indiana, and, and being um, in Texas just was so different culturally. And uh, that after uh, three or four years there, I decided I wanted to come back to Wisconsin. So I did. And I uh, ended up uh, getting a job at the University of Wisconsin Center for Cooperatives. Ann Hoyt hired me to work with her uh, to create a training program for co-op managers. And uh, we called that program the Cooperative Management Institute, or CMI, and uh, promoted that. Uh, there were a lot of um, faculty members from different parts of the University of Wisconsin campus who were going to be teaching in the program, but they were looking for someone who had on-the-ground experience, who knew what it was like to manage a co-op and uh, to, to be able to make sure that the coursework was relevant to, to, to people who were not just um, academic or theoretic, but very practical uh, experience for co-op managers. And so that was part of my responsibility to work with the faculty. We, we wrote some case studies and just helped organize the, the classes um, there to, to support uh, uh, you know, I mentioned before that there were so many things that we we just tried to figure out on our own. We didn't always know what we were doing. And this course was an opportunity to raise the level of management capacity in food co-ops. And so it was a, a really great opportunity to, to meet a lot of folks and to um, to, to elevate um, knowledge. In, in that case, uh, knowledge was power and to see people being able to, to come in um, with a lot of ideas and help help uh, frame those up. And they all, all had to work on a project. They'd come back six months later having completed a project and the class got to um, hear what their project was and kick around ideas, and everyone just um, became better managers as a result of it, and our food co-ops became stronger. It was a very, uh, very exciting time. Now, so these co-op managers were all in the food co-op world? Um, it was designed to be any kind of consumer co-op, um, but in reality, it turned out that it was almost entirely uh, food co-op managers. We had a few other uh, people who, who came in, but the food co-op I think we're so hungry for the information and the knowledge, and uh, we were we were just able to attract the food co-op people in. So it was designed more broadly. We didn't specialize in, in groceries. We specialized in understanding finance, marketing, human resources, uh, the cooperative difference, and uh, and even and brought in at that point we were we were helping people learn to use technology. We had some of the classes in the computer lab. You know, this was before it was common to have a have a computer on your desk. Hmm. It seems like, I mean, the, the computer world, technology world has changed so much in 40 years, 30 years, 20 years even. Uh -huh, yes. So, yeah, that's, it's different to figure out. I mean, it's strange um, how much change has happened. Um, okay, I want to go back to you elevated knowledge, you worked on projects, kicked around ideas. Oh, I know what it is. Um, just for everybody out there, uh, there are four basic types of co-ops, and you can help me with this, Marilyn, if I, sure. if I don't get it right or something. It's the the one is if it's owned by the employees. Well, the difference makes who owns and controls the business. If it's owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker cooperative, and therefore you can have any type of business that could be owned and controlled by the employees. If it's owned and controlled by the people that uses the products and services, the customers, then it's called a consumer cooperative, and food co-ops are one that is that. And then two would be uh, credit unions or housing co-ops. Those are mm -hmm. yeah, electric co-ops, healthcare, right. different kinds of services that people use that that are cooperatively organized. Go girl, go. Thank you. <laughs> and a food co-op could be a worker-owned co-op. Could be, uh huh. Or and there's a, a couple that are both consumer hybrids. and worker uh, hybrids. Right. I talked to, I had a guy on a program from Seattle, 
that they did that. Uh-huh, sure enough. And I think he said 60% is owned by the consumer and 40% by the employees, some some combination. Uh-huh. Um, so those are two big ones. And then you have the, if people want to buy things together, purchasing co-ops, and that a lot of farmers would do this. They'll come together and they'll buy what they need. Um, and mainly to get a better product at a lower price. And if they, the managers of these co-ops then get the knowledge and they work with the vendors to, to create contracts and stuff. To yeah, I understand that they get a lot of efficiencies in the purchasing co-op. And a lot of the franchise, small businesses have organized into um, into, into purchasing co-ops to be able to remain as a small family-owned business, whether it's a hardware store or Ace electronics hardware. or yeah. any, any kind of products that um, they might want to purchase together in in order to uh, leverage their purchasing power. Artists are beginning to do that, whether they're drawing, painting, or Mm -hmm. woodwork, or jewelry, or musicians are beginning to form co-ops purchasing. So musicians uh, had a group here that was looking at buying a rental housing together, so they'd have housing. uh, Interesting. interesting. Mm -hmm. So so that they also the farmers will buy warehouse space or cooler space uh, together and they I, I had stories were doing um during the 60s when they were the the farmers black farmers in the south were going out and getting uh, to vote and then the the folks that owned the gas stores wouldn't sell them gas so they formed a co-op and bought a truck and went across state lines and bought their gas. Good for them. Yeah. So it's sort of like whatever the need is in the community, mm-hmm. people f- come together, figure out what they need, and they pool their f- resources, and then therefore for they can they can get it done. So that's the purchasing co-ops. And then on the other end of the businesses is the marketing co-ops. And, again, farmers have been using that a lot in cabbage che- tr- uh, cheese and Lando Lakes and Ocean Spray. Ocean Spray? <laughs> Yes. Okay. Yeah, cranberries. Cranberries sauce. Okay. That's what I had in my head was cranberries and ocean spray didn't sound right. All right. So they come together and they get so they can get new markets, markets that they couldn't get on their own. And, of course, they get the efficiencies and the staff that can uh, negotiate contracts with the people they will sell to. So, again, they get the efficiencies. I'm glad you put that word in my vocabulary today Mm -hmm. to describe that. Um, so those are basic four, and you can have all kinds of different hybrids, uh, combinations of and so forth of co-ops. It just depends on what the people need in a community. Yeah, yeah. Our, our co-op, CDS Consulting Co-op, is a little bit of a hybrid. We, we call it a shared services co-op. And uh, in our co-op, all of our consultants, all of our clients are, are co-ops of different types, um, and uh, all of our consultants work to help those co-ops be stronger, both as businesses and associations. And we, our uh, consulting co-op provides services to those consultants so that they can focus their time on serving the clients. So we, we do promotions, website development. We do administration, invoicing, billing, collection, that sort of thing. And then we all work together, collaborate, share stories, uh, help each other out with a, with a client. If two or more of us are working with a client on something, we can share stories. Or if we've had an experience that can help um, another, another consultant be successful, then uh, that, that kind of collaboration means that people are all independent contractors. They're, they own their own consulting business, but we, we, we pool the resources. Um, and and it, so it's like um, both being uh, owning your own business, but not having to do that alone with other people. And there are people in other industries that um, have been very interested in our model as a shared services co-op. We had um, one group contact us. They were a, a group of trail guides. And they were um, trail guides. Trail guides, yeah. They help people organize trips, and they um, thought that that if they were all independent and in different parts of the. Uh, this was at, out in Washington State, in different parts of the state, but they thought they would benefit from sharing resources, and so they were interested in our model. We had a group of uh, of web uh, and tech designers who were interested in using our model. A group of um, artists who wanted to. Um, share uh, space and, and share promotion and marketing, and uh, so they were looking at a shared services model. So it's a, it's small, 
um, sector of the of the co-op, but I think it's an emerging one and one that has the potential to support people who are operating in independent businesses uh, to to help leverage some of their business expenses um, and and pool those. So, you know, if you have a small business and you have to do all your own accounting, all your own marketing, and all your own um, HR work, then it's hard to have time to to run your business if you're just a one or two person shop. But if you if you pool that, share it with other people who are in a similar kind of business that can, again, bring a lot of efficiencies and a lot of um, benefits of collaboration and, and improve your service. So that's how we see it at CDS Consulting Co-op and, and cool. why we decided to form as a shared services co-op. Well, I want to come back. We've got to take our second break, but okay. I'd like to come back and get after the break. So some of the things that you've learned in doing that that could be share with other cooperators that may be listening on is that what are some of the things lessons learned that as you've done this consulting work okay sure oh, we'll sounds right. like fun okay <laughs> let's have fun we'll be right back please don't touch the dial welcome back everybody as we said earlier the national co-op bank sponsors this program ncb's mission is to support and be an advocate for america's cooperatives and their members especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. And you know they really do a great job of, of providing these financial services. And I saw in your bio that NCB supported you all. How did they do that? Um, well, it's been um, many times over, over the years. But back in the, in the early days, we were, uh, we were trying to figure out how to help co-ops Strengthen their business practices, and we thought that uh, when Walden Swanson was really the the leader of this effort, uh, he's also in the Hall of Fame. You've probably talked to him on your show. Mm-hmm. Um, Walden had the idea that if we could create a database where we would be able to um, have co-ops share their financial information in a in a safe and confidential way, so it would be uh, couldn't get out to the outside public, but. Um, that uh, we could establish benchmarks. And once we could establish benchmarks, then we could find out who, well, who was the best performer and how were they, how were they getting that, that uh, good number in, in margin or sales or, or labor efficiency and, um, and, and uh, explore what a best practice is and then share that best practice. And so it was originally called a Cocoa Fist. Um, Comment stood for C-O-C-O-F-I-S-T, Common cooperative financial statements. And the first thing we had to do was agree on what went in what category, what, what's called a dairy product, what's called a, you know, what's going to go in prepared foods, what's going to be um, our different departments, and then how are we going to code our expenses? What the, where's the member newsletter? Is that going to be a promotion or education? Where's the board expense? And, and make sure that all of the categories were lined up so we were comparing apples to apples. So your but, chart of um, accounts, you had to make sure that everybody yep, used the same chart of accounts. chart of accounts, and that, that took us a while to get everybody to agree on that. But once that five we years that, or what? We said that? that five years to get uh, that straight? <laughs> Not quite, not quite. It was about, I would say it was about 18 months process. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people participating and coming in with different ideas. And then we went to the, to the bank and, and talked to folks there to ask them to support that effort. Many of the co-ops, of course, were borrowers from the bank. So it was a, a synergistic a, agreement where we could show the bank that, hey, we think that if we implement this program, co-ops will be stronger. They'll be better borrowers. They'll be more ready to explore expansion projects and, and want to want to use the bank services. And so the bank saw the wisdom in that and uh, supported that project. And there have been other times that we've gone back to the bank with other ideas. I, f- I forget what year it was, but we were starting to notice a new wave of food co-op development. Um, more communities that didn't have a co-op wanted one, and they were starting to, to call and say, well, how do we get a co-op started? And we didn't really have any strong organized systems to support them, but there was a manual that we could point them to, but there really wasn't a support network. And so we, again, went to the co-op bank and asked Chuck Snyder to if he would help us. And Again, uh, saying if we can get more co-ops started, they're, they're going to need financial services, and so it, it could be a win-win. And uh, Chuck saw the wisdom in that and, and, um, 
has been supporting the Food Co-op Initiative. I'm on the board of directors of the Food Co-op Initiative and ha- have been for about 10 years. And, um, and the National Co-op Bank has supported us uh, that entire time. We have support from other places, too, of course, but the bank has been a very strong supporter, and we're so grateful. So the Food Cooperative Initiative is to get information to help start food cooperatives? To help start brand-new co-ops, yes, that is correct. There have been about 120 new co-ops that have started in the last 10 years, and uh, they don't all make it, but we've got a pretty high success rate, a little over 70%, which is better than most small business startups. And and so there's uh, nearly 100 uh, new co-ops that are um, that have remained open for five years or more. And there's another 100 or, or 120 some uh, communities across the country that are trying to organize a food co-op in their communities. And so a food co-op initiative is set up to help them in that effort. Well, there's a group of young people here that's trying to start one in Ward 8, which is a food desert area in, in district. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough business. The grocery business is really one that's based on on volume, and uh, so small stores have a hard time uh, getting the same kind of volume and therefore offering the same kind of prices that a you know national huge national chains and of course they also you know bargain with the suppliers and try to drive down the cost so the farmers aren't making any money the only people who are making money are the are the people who own the the huge companies but it's but it's such an important need uh, people need food and they need access to to good quality food and so we don't have all the answers but we're certainly trying to figure out how to support uh, communities especially those in food deserts um, but it is i i can't um I can't tell a lie here. It's very, it's very challenging, and we don't have a lot of success stories in the food desert area. We have more success in the, in the uh, natural foods um, where the where the customers are a little more affluent. There's more. We have had a little more success there, but we we just um, we're, we're keeping working on it, and we're we've got a um, study project going on right now with Food Co-op Initiative, uh, funded in part by Capital Impacts. To, uh, to to try to figure out how we can bring this model to more people and help them get access to good quality food. So we're, we're working on it. Well, Terry Simonette from Capital Impact was on this program, and Carr, I just lost his first name. He's Ellis. A new Ellis Carr has also been on. Um, so they do a lot of great work. They've done wonderful work in Detroit, and I think they did the work in Jackson, Mississippi, with the Renaissance Center and a food co-op there. Uh, Renaissance is in Greensboro, North Carolina, okay. and Jackson, Mississippi, is also a, a place where uh, I don't know what the what Capital Impacts did there, but I know that they had a um, a big event called Jackson Rising, where they were That's really it. looking at all the different ways that. And people could take control of their economic circumstances by working together. And that's, of course, the idea of, of cooperatives is to support people by sharing their resources and, and creating something of value for them. You know, that's why I love co-ops. Oh, I need some help from you. I am going to be giving a presentation to the Potomac Association of Housing Co-ops in Virginia Beach on Friday the 27th of this month, and it's a financial clinic. And what you just talked about is what I've had in my head, and I've talked to them about this for the last 10 years. With What I have found out in housing co-ops is that the people are very skeptical of giving out their financial statements. They really hold on to financial statements as if mm-hmm. it's gold, and they don't want anybody to know about it. And I don't know if because things are really great or really bad or whatever it is, but they don't want to know. So in your Consumer cooperative financial statements are the C- Common, co- common cooperative, yeah. Common. They're not using that name anymore. It was too complicated. Now it's just called co-op metrics. Oh, and now it's called co-metrics. Co-metrics, yeah. They even changed it, lowered it again. Okay. Yeah, made it, made it easier to say. <laughs> All right, I have talked to them about trying to do this in housing co-ops. Yes, uh-huh. I, I have found it that their money is expensive. But I've, I've found two things. One is I found it expensive when I've talked to them about doing it. And the second one is trying to get people to overcome their hurdle of of giving up the finances so that we could look at, and that's what I had in mind, best practices. What do the numbers tell you? What's the story that the numbers tell you? 
So I'll, I'll, I'm having a clinic, and I've got two of the co-ops that give me their financials, and I'm putting with a third one, and we'll see what the numbers tell us there. But that's my ultimate goal is to do some of the things that you all have done with food co-ops, uh, of what I've heard you've done, but get that done in the housing world. Yeah, I think if you if you have a couple of examples and can show people how much value they can gain from it, you know, there's I think that we tend to hold on to something until we find out that it will become more valuable if we share it. You know, it's just like a smile. You give a smile, you're going to get a smile back. You're going to you're going to get multitude times what you give out and and so the the benefits are there but it, people don't always see it at first so you have to i think sometimes just show them the very practical how it can benefit them fantastic now do you all have anything in writing about the practical benefits and we're getting to some of the lessons learned of the practical benefits of sharing their financial statements I am trying to think if there are or not. I'd have to, to – we have a, a very large library of resources, a free library available online at our website, cdsconsulting.coop. CDS and then you get to the library, you just backslash uh, library. And uh, so I would have to look to see. I, I bet there is, but it's not popping to the, to the top of my head. Okay. I'm on your webpage. I see service list, our consultants, clients, and case. Where would I find library? Resources. resources. Yep. Resources. And then the last uh, last listing under resources is library. Oh, I see on the down the page. I was looking across. Start a co-op, cooperative governance, participation, improve operations, develop your talent, expand and grow. Okay, articles, links, toolboxes, and library. Yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said it all because it's, it's a great source, CDS consulting.coop and your picture shows up (laughs) (laughs) yes it's there right now where's my co-op's helping me celebrate the hall of fame induction aren't aren't they a great group of people yes okay so what are some other lessons you learned um, there are a few things that i jotted down i thought might be interesting i think one thing is the importance in a co-op of balancing success as a business and balancing success as an association of people. If you're a strong business but don't take care to involve the people, don't be a strong association, people don't know that you're a co-op or why it matters that you're a co-op, you can be successful in the short run. But in the long run, you really need both to be strong. And the opposite is true, too. If you're, if you're strong as a co-op but your business practices aren't up to snuff, you're not going to survive very long. So to be successful as a cooperative, you really have to balance both aspects of the business. It's In my mind, it's more complicated than running uh, another kind of business because you do have to create that balance and you have to achieve um, success and invest resources in both the business and the association. But that's that's how you can be successful. Another thing I I jotted down... um, uh, Before you move on to the next one, I get that it's more complicated, and I get that it's hard work, and I've had people from Equal Exchange on. Rodney North told me that when he was the chair of the board, in the morning he would be in the meeting with the, the chief operating officer, and the chief operating officer would be telling him what to do. In the evening in a board meeting, he's a chair and the chief operating officer is there, and he would be telling him what to do. Uh And the roles would switch. And he said, you have to learn how to do that and respect each other. And so it's harder because not only did he have to do his job, but he also had to be into governance. So you get this harder, it's more complicated. But the rewards are so awesome when you say that 90% of co-ops are still in existence after five years. And you just said for food co-ops, the 70% are still in existence after five years, where if it's a traditional business, it's only 5 to 10% are in existence after five years. It's just... That's a big difference. It's a huge difference. And I think it's because of the training and learning how to work together. Part of it is that for sure. And then part of it is the participation. It's just important that people are participating and, and, you know, the, the co-op principles talk about different kinds of participation, per, particularly around voting, but it's more than voting. It's the conversation. It's people thinking and participating in how can we make this better? What, how can we communicate 
our needs better to our co-op and how, how can a co-op listen and be sure that it's taking into account a lot of different people's needs. So the participation and, and then the participation goes out that when people are satisfied, they have their needs met, then they're going to go tell other people and it's going to help uh, spread the word about that co-op or about other co-ops. So really... Marla. We have Involving to take our, people in the in the participation really makes a difference. We have to take our final break, and okay. we'll come back and get your second reason and second lesson learned. But okay. we'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOL, 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Your program is Everything Cooperative. We have Merlin Scholl on the line with us this morning. Merlin, you were getting ready to tell us the second lesson learned. Yeah, I think um, uh, focusing on member needs. It's easy in business to get this. There's so many things that you have to to think about and work on there's the competitors and other people who are offering services but if if a co-op and its management really stays focused on on meeting its members needs and understanding those needs and making sure that things are organized for the benefit of the members so they can have their needs met then you you created a purpose that will sustain the business if members needs change then the co-op needs to change so maintaining that focus, not on what we're doing today, but what is it that members need? And as those, those needs are, are likely to change, particularly if, if you're meeting their needs, now new needs might emerge. So that ongoing focus on what members need is, um, is really critical, probably to any business, but especially in a co-op. How, how do you do that? Oh, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly hard, particularly in a large co-op, in a consumer co-op where you might have you know, 10, 20,000 um, members, um, or even if you have three or 4,000 members, um, it's hard to, to understand what everybody is, is asking for and looking for, and you have to get, build your skills at reading the, uh, the data uh, because you're not going to be able to, to hear each person, and, and sometimes the, the people you do hear from may not be representative of the members as a whole. You have to remember that. Your job is to focus on all the members, not just the the loud or the or the lo- vocal ones. And that's what um, leadership and governance is about. And that that's the the next thing on my list about what I think is a, a lesson learned is the importance of leadership and governance. And then it doesn't just happen. It takes um, it takes education. It takes strategy. It takes teamwork. And, uh, and and so one of the ways that we've um, uh, contributed through our consulting co-op is to really focus on supporting boards of directors and helping them understand what their role is and, and what their role is not, how to provide strategic leadership without interfering with management, how to work together as an effective team, how to, how to make decisions together, and how to connect with the members. And it, it's not an easy job. There's no silver bullet, but part of it is is gathering data, um, doing customer surveys, member surveys, focus groups, uh, that kind of thing. Other is reading into the into the data that you do you do have. Of course, um, are your are your sales growing? Are are is your membership count growing? What's your basket size? If people are using the co-op, that's an indication. It's not a proof, but it's an indication of um, right. of what people want and then just continuing to create opportunities for people to communicate with you so making sure that there's a space on the website there's a space in the store that there's um, people have access to the board members uh, email addresses or they know how to get in touch with them if they want to come to a meeting they know how to do that annual meetings that are engaging and involve uh, listening to people not just talking at people but creating ways to listen to people. So it's not one thing, it's a lot of things. Did you encourage board meetings would be open to members? 
Yeah, I think that they should be open to members. I think it's um, it's also important that the board has time to do their work, and so it's important not to confuse a board meeting with a member meeting. A board meeting is not uh, a time devoted to listening to members, but they certainly should be open, and members should come, and if they have something to say, you know, listen to them. But the board has its own work and its own agenda to do, so welcoming them, but but creating additional opportunities where it is the time to listen to members, whether it's um, coffees with the board or focus groups, the annual meeting, um, multiple other opportunities uh, where it doesn't conflict with the board's own work. Let me tell you something I've learned to see what you think about this. Okay. Um, in property management, I found that in order to be successful, you need good governance first, and then you need good management because the governance sets the policies and the rules and then they hire management and then they ought to be the ones that evaluating management, but not micromanaging. You know, mm -hmm. Good governance and good management. And the good part of it is that there's integrity and knowledge that they have to follow the rules, whatever the rules are, or change the rules. And they, in property management, you can't give your best friend new carpet and nobody else or whatever else people do. Um, when they have power. But you have to have integrity, and then you have to uh, have knowledge. And I find that that's the order, too, because I've got a 16 se um, senior co-op that they don't have a lot of knowledge in terms of, you know, formal knowledge or governance. They have a lot of common sense, mm -hmm. uh, mother wit, what we call. And then they can hire the auditor, the manager, the account uh, lawyer to help with the knowledge part and direct them. Um, and they hold you accountable. That's they don't have any problems <laughs> holding you accountable. That's good. <laughs> it is great. It is great. So it's for what I have found is good governance first, then good management, and under that is having integrity first, and then knowledge. What do you think about that? I think that's great. I'm I'm really in, intrigued by your. Um, I, I see it as a little grid, and I like it. I think the the important thing about governance first is that um, a good board can ensure that there's good management. Right. That's but a good manager has a has a harder time because the manager doesn't decide who's on the board. A manager can make sure the board has resources. Manager can make sure that the board has access to training opportunities and knowledge and information and support their work with administrative uh, support. And, and the manager certainly can help with a good board, but they can't control it where right. the other way. So I think you're right. Good governance is is critical first and you just i think integrity is um well you, i think you hit the nail on the head vernon you're it, it's the it, it is such an important and it includes a lot of things like honesty and fairness following the club principles having value um and i think that that goes a, a, such a long way um knowledge without integrity you know um, would be uh, they're a little scary, mm -hmm. but uh, knowledge, uh, integrity, uh, followed up by knowledge. Um, and then I would probably add to that teamwork uh, at, because the board, um, it, it isn't just the uh, an individuals. It's a group, and the group has to work well together. So I, I might tag that one on I like it. and uh, see where we might, might be able to go with integrity, knowledge, and teamwork. I like it. Thank you. Well, that's what I'm going to share from here on out. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank well, you. I'm going to take your first uh, governance and management, integrity, then knowledge. I like that a lot, too, so thank you. Well, we're cooperating here. Learning together. Um, what is the four cornerstones and three stages that you all developed? Yeah, um, that's a, uh, a model to help with the development of new food co-ops. The, the four cornerstones are... Uh, the things that need to be in place for a cooperative business to be successful. So if you're trying to start a new uh, co-op, you need these four things in place. You need a vision. What are we going to try to accomplish? What, what do we see as how are we going to meet members' needs? So vision. Mm -hmm. You need talent. It's probably very similar to what we were just talking about with integrity and knowledge. You need talent. You need people who can carry out that vision. Okay. And then... You need capital. You need money. You need resources to put towards that the, the talented people can put towards achieving that vision. And then finally, uh, the fourth cornerstone is systems that you need not just to 
do things in a random way, but to have a systematic approach, systems that work for membership development and so forth. So uh, vision, talent, capital, and systems. And then those are the four cornerstones. And then inside those are the three stages. The organizing stage comes first, where you're getting a group of people together to share the vision, to develop the skills, to understand if they want to form a co-op, and then if so, how are we going to go about doing that, organizing them. The next stage is feasibility and planning, and that is, is our business idea feasible? Not every good idea is feasible. Mm -hmm. Not every way that we want to meet members' needs is feasible. It has to work as a business. So you have to be sure that you're going to have the market, you're going to have the um, uh, be able to operate it efficiently and profitably. So we look at uh, feasibility and then planning. So this, the middle phase is feasibility and planning. If it's feasible, then we develop a plan. And then the final stage is to implement that. So you have organizing, feasibility and planning, and then implementation inside those four cornerstones. So that we created that, um, oh, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago as we were seeing uh, uh, more of these startup efforts that we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. and uh, feeling like we needed a model or structure to help people think about what do we, how are we going to go about this so you can fit everything into that model. I love it. I love it. Now, we only have a minute left, so what would you like to leave people with? Oh, this has just been so much fun, Vernon. Thank you so much. I, I think uh, we need an economy that works for everyone, and cooperatives is an, an economic system that is fair and just, and we need that in our world. I'm so happy and uh, to be able to talk with you and to share uh, a little bit about uh, the, the cooperative business model. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for what you've done in your 40-year career and what you will continue to do. It's been exciting and fun and learning and deal with this quote a second i heard we have about 30 more seconds dame pauline green said co-ops help people to come out of poverty with dignity what do you think about that quote oh i i think it's um it's so important and, and pauline uh, green was such a great leader um co-ops help so many people in so many ways and they're all about the, the human being and and the potential of human beings working together Thank you so very much. Thank you, Vern. It was so nice to be with you this morning. It's a pleasure. Everybody out there, we'll see you next Thursday. And have a real cooperative week and have fun. Thank you. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM WOL.